Jets stay quiet at the trade deadline. Is it the right move? We'll discuss today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Lockdown Jets Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, November 1st, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com. Thanking you so much for making this show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast, so you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give it a five-star review. If you enjoy the show and are watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out and helps other Jets fans find the show. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Each Wednesday we try and do a mailbag show with listener questions. Thanks so much to everybody who sent in questions. Our first question is on the NFL trade deadline, which passed at four o'clock Eastern yesterday. It's on Halloween. You know, I guess two holidays on October thirty-first. One is Halloween. One is the NFL trade deadline. It was a quiet one for the Jets, though, and that's where our first question deals with. John, the Jets did not make any moves at the trade deadline, even though players at positions of need like Ezra Cleveland and Donovan Peoples-Jones were traded. Did they make a mistake? And that's a question that seems to be consuming the fan base in the aftermath of the trade deadline. I think the answer is kind of nuanced. So yesterday, you know, if you listened to the show yesterday, you heard my thoughts on that. One of the things I said was I was skeptical that a quality offensive lineman would be traded. And if the quality offensive lineman by chance was traded, I did not think it would be at, at an affordable price. And I ended up being wrong about that because Ezra Cleveland, who was a very good guard, was traded from the Minnesota Vikings to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the price was only a sixth-round pick. So Jacksonville ended up making a really good deal, I think, for Cleveland, whose contract does expire at the end of the year. So it's a bit of a rental move. You know, I... Look at this in kind of, again, kind of a nuanced way. Would I have made that trade if I were the Jets? Would I have tried to beat that package? Yes. And, you know, there's this idea out there. The Jets actually do not have a fifth-round pick this year because they they did a pick swap last year, so they sent their fifth to Denver, and in exchange, they got a fourth back. Um, Jacob Martin, this was the Jacob Martin trade when the Jets signed a pass rusher who ended up falling out of favor. They sent him to Denver with a five and got a four back. So they don't have a fifth-round pick this year. So the idea is like, well, Jacksonville gave up a high sixth-round pick because the sixth-round pick Jacksonville gave up was not their own. It was Carolina's, which is going to be a really high sixth-round pick. So there are people out there saying, well, the Jets would have needed to trade a fifth-round pick, and they don't have that, so they would have had to trade a fourth-round pick. That's not really true. I mean, you can come up with like, if you do like a pick swap or you throw a player in, it would not have been hard to beat that beat that package. Uh, you know, so I, I look at this from a few different angles. Uh, number one, yes, I think the Jets probably should have done that. I think Ezra Cleveland's a really good guard. I think that he's better than what the Jets have. I think offensive line's a huge issue. That said, um, as I said yesterday, I think that the Jets are not a team that's one player away. And I think you can make a case that the offensive line is not one player away. So I'm not saying that you don't try to improve the offensive line. I'm not saying you just you just are fine with what you got on the offensive line. But sometimes if you have a really bad unit and it's just fundamentally broken, one player is not going to fix it. And what tends to happen is even if you get a good player, everything around him drags him down. 
And I wonder whether that's the Jets' mindset, you know, at, with this offensive line. Uh, you know, another thing I think is you know, there've been some there's some rumors that maybe the Jets were involved in this trade package and it just did not come up with the offer. We don't really know, but considering Ezra Cleveland's a good guard and everybody needs offensive line help, and they only got a sixth round pick now. With the caveat, he's going to be free agent, so this is you know a rental. But I almost wonder like whether Minnesota did not make it known that he was available. And sometimes that happens where you know if the teams just don't realize a player is available, so that's one of the reasons you don't get a good return because you don't get enough bidders. I'm sure that I mean I can't imagine there wouldn't have been a lot of bidders on Ezra Cleveland if he was available. So I, you know maybe Minnesota did not put him out there. And you know like like I said yesterday. I don't know that like one player is going to make that big of a difference for the Jets this season. I just think that this is a team they they're not great, they're not terrible in the middle of the pack. So I get I may, maybe you make the argument that they could go either way making the playoffs, but I just am not convinced that this this player especially on this offensive line is going to make that big of a difference. I think what tends to happen at the trade deadline is people are obsessed with like whether that's the point where your team can improve or not when like 97% of your improvement happens over the course of the off season. So for me, if you want to be mad at something, you should be mad at the off season the Jets had, because I mean, if we're going to be objective about it, the Jets had a terrible off season and it's nothing I wasn't saying at the time. What were the two big problem areas heading into the season that we thought that we, that we thought existed offensive line and wide receiver. So it's not like these things were mysteries. It's not like we were expecting these position groups to be great heading into the season. And especially after Corey Davis retired, wide receiver became a huge problem area for this football team. So I think the, the issue is more with the offseason because, frank, quite frankly, outside of maybe a couple of rotational defensive linemen, Jets have got nothing out of the players that they've added this offseason. They just they did a terrible job. And, you know, a lot of it can we can go into the particulars of the Rodgers trade and how that negatively impacted the team in the offseason. Um, you know, that's really the area where the Jets failed. They just left – glaring holes on this offense you know the defense is very well built on this team the offense is not and you know should they have traded for cleveland i i look it was up to me i probably would have figured out a way to beat the jacksonville offer but the fact we're in this position in the offensive line you know that's it's not so easy to that the trade deadline necessarily is going to fix it i think the same is true at the wide receiver position i mean right now the jets are a team with really one and a half receivers garrett wilson's a legit go-to guy Lazard, I guess, is okay, and you got nothing behind them. I mean, what Randall Cobb, Malik Taylor, Xavier Gibson, Jason Brownlee, or Charles is a good special teamer, but you know, it's just not a great group that the Jets have. Uh, a tough call. Uh, I don't think it necessarily makes as big of a difference as people want it to, though. I think that it's a spot where the Jets had an opportunity to make a move, and they didn't for whatever reason, but I don't think it's necessarily the end of the world. Next question. If we deactivate Dalvin Cook to save money, will that turn off future veteran free agents? I don't think so. I understand the argument. The argument's going to be people say saw Dalvin Cook sign this big contract and he gets benched. So they may say, well, I don't want to go there, go to a team that benches a player like Dalvin Cook. I think number one, you know, there's a level of intelligence across the league where people are going to realize Dalvin Cook it's not like the Jets lied to Dalvin Cook. Now, if, you know, if the Jets buried Dalvin Cook on the bench early in the season, maybe that would be the case. But I think people realize Dalvin Cook's not performing. I, I think when an under when a free agent signing underperforms, he gets benched. That there's an understanding. The second aspect of this is free agents. You, 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 very easy to forget this. This is their livelihood, 
And when you're a free agent, you may only get one shot to get a big contract. You know, getting the second big contract in this league is not so easy. So you're just looking to maximize your earnings. Or if you're not looking to maximize your earnings, you at least you at least have a number in mind. And if you need the team to get that. So I think like the Jets money is still going to be money. It's not going to, I just don't see it. I, it's not a bad question, but I don't think it's going to have a major impact on this team's ability to sign free agents. I think the issue is just Dalvin Cook's not any good and people realize that. Now that you're on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we'll turn our attention to another controversial player on the team, Zach Wilson. Some Jets fans want him benched. Should the Jets bench him? At what point should they consider benching him? I think we're still a long way off from that, and I'll explain why as we continue this Wednesday edition of Locked On Jets. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players who are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Panthers running back Chuma Hubbard got the lead duties in Week 8 against the Texans, despite Miles Sanders being available. Although Hubbard struggled to get going in that matchup, he should find more running room back at home against the Colts breaking down front. The Panthers' power running should yield better results, but Hubbard can also have a bigger impact in the passing game to deliver all around as a fantasy player. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship. Vinny has a great show here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You should... Listen to it after you finish listening to Locked On Jets every day. Vinny's on every day, Monday through Friday. Vinny's going to help you win that championship. And eBay Motors knows the championship team is all about each player being a perfect fit. And the same goes for your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listener, first watch every day. A big shout out to you every day. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We have new episodes each day through the week, Monday through Friday, and then bonus episodes as needed. We continue with our weekly mailbag. Our next question, at what point would you put in a backup quarterback over Zach Wilson? He has improved from not in this league to backup developmental quarterback with flashes. I still would not want him as the starter. Well, the issue with Zach Wilson is the same issue you have with lots of players, lots of coaches. It's the easiest thing in the world to say to bench somebody. It's the easiest thing in the world to say to say fire somebody. It's the easiest thing in the world to say replace somebody. The challenge is the replacement has to be better. So who are the Jets' potential replacements? There's Trevor Simeon and Tim Boyle. I'm sorry. These are these these are not good options, and I, I do not see how either of them is a better option than Zach Wilson. And listen, I don't think Zach Wilson played very well this past Sunday. You know, I watched the film over, but I saw Zach Wilson show an ability to make some big time throws. I saw Zach Wilson, you know, if not play well, at least did not put the ball in danger. I, I don't know that Trevor Simeon or or Tim Boyle has that ability, so. Yeah, would I prefer to have a different quarterback in there? I would. I think that, honestly, the Jets winning just as it did a year ago is making people think Zach Wilson's better than he really is. You know, there's the, the whole thing about is, are wins a quarterback stat. 
not really. I mean, the quarterback is typically one of the driving forces on your football team, but not always. When Zach Wilson, when the Jets win games, is Zach Wilson the driving force? Usually he's not. Usually he's more of the quote-unquote game manager, and it's the defense that's carrying the team. It's the special teams that's carrying the team. Maybe it's Brees Hall. You know, Zach Wilson's not great, but there's no better option than him right now. I mean, look, the Jets did not want Zach Wilson to start games this year. They, that's the reason they traded for Aaron Rodgers. That's the reason that, you know, if they missed on Rodgers, they probably would have gotten a different veteran quarterback. It's not great right now. He's, he is better. He now doesn't really have much of an ability to carry the team for a full 60 minutes, but I don't see who the superior option is for this football team right now. I don't think it was going to come with the trade deadline. I think that once Aaron Rodgers went down, Jets were going to have Zach Wilson at their quarterback. Again, going back to what I said in the first segment, if you want to be upset about something, you should be upset about what the Jets did in the offseason because there were opportunities to bring another backup quarterbacks, let Zach sit. But I don't think it's going to change this year. I think it is it is what it is. I mean, it's just Zach Wilson's the quarterback. He's the best option the Jets have unless he, you know, unless he gets injured. Next question. The term game manager is frequently used to describe quarterbacks. I've always wondered what the term means precisely. How would you define a good, good game management by a quarterback? If it goes beyond statistics such as completion percentage and interceptions, how does Zach Wilson rate as a game manager? It's kind of a cliche. Um, the earliest I remember it being used was in 2000 to describe Trent Dilfer with the Ravens. And the thing is, like, I feel like in some ways Trent Dilfer doesn't get his due for what he did that season. Not that he was spectacular, but Dilfer was the backup quarterback at the start of the year. The Ravens had Tony Banks start their games. He was he was so bad that like even with the Ravens defense, they were still you know kind of a mediocre team. And then Dilfer went in and they you know they went on a run at the end of the season because Dilfer gave them just enough. But if we're going to be honest here, and I just use the term about Zach Wilson, it's the it's a it's essentially what you try and say if you don't think your quarterback is that good. And you have to win games without your quarterback being the driving force. That's what I think. I think it's less of, less of what the quarterback's doing and more a reflection on your team that you're just hoping for somebody else to carry the load. It's not easy to do. The Jets, you know, have struck the balance more often than not the last two years. The defense is really, really good. And they have a couple legitimate playmakers on offense who can help Zach out. But I think game manager is almost a, an insult. When you, when you call a quarterback a game manager, it's not a good thing. You're not saying very good things about the quarterback. You're essentially saying we have to win without the quarterback being the guy who's driving the victories. So ideally, you know, you wouldn't have a game manager. I mean, the question asks, you know, what's the ideal game manager performance? The ideal game manager performance is being better than a game manager. I mean, I think it just means that you're winning. If not in spite of the quarterback, then you're not winning because of the quarterback. Next question. Do you think that losing the coin toss was actually the best outcome in overtime? Both offenses were struggling big time, so it felt to me like the better option was to get the defense on the field to not allow anything and win the field position battle. But deferring in overtime is something most coaches are not willing to do. So all I can do is tell you what I thought in the moment. And in the moment, I was really happy the Giants got the ball first for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, normally you normally you always want the ball first because the touchdown wins the game on the first drive, but you knew that you knew the Giants were not going to get a touchdown. And the Jets offense did find a rhythm in that desperation drive. The other thing you have to remember, though, is like it's not just the Giants offense was struggling. It was almost like the Giants offense was ice cold because they weren't really trying to move the ball. They weren't throwing the ball at all. They were just they pretty much spent an entire half or at least a quarter and a half 
trying to win the game 10-7, which meant the offense was really just a mechanism to run the clock down. They were just handing the ball off three times on every drive and hoping they could run the clock out. So it wasn't just that the Giants were struggling to move the ball. It's that they essentially had to, like, after, like, I don't know, like an hour and a half of not playing at all, suddenly they had to try and score points. So I really was, I really wanted the Jets defense to be on the field in overtime. And it's rare that I, I almost would never say that. I think losing that coin toss was a blessing because I don't, I kind of feel like the Jets would have played it by the book. I think they would have taken the ball and, you know, they still may have won. I mean, the, the offense still made some big plays in that overtime period. And maybe they found something in that last desperation drive of regulation. But I was really happy to see that Giants offense on the field because that Giants offense was bad during the game and they weren't even really playing for much of the second half so it gave the Jets a great opportunity and fortunately the Jets took advantage now, speaking of guys taking advantage of opportunities that's Jermaine Johnson and the Jets made a trade up to get him last year they gave up quite a bit to move up in the first round to grab him is that trade up worth it what will it take for that trade up to be worth it is his play enough to justify the deal I'll give you some thoughts on that as we continue this Wednesday edition of Locked On Jets this episode of Lockdown Jets is brought to you by Game Time. You should not have to worry about buying tickets to the next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantees, Game Time takes all the guesswork out of buying tickets. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. There's not going to be any surprises. You'll get the picture before you go, so you before you even buy the ticket. So you won't have to worry about an obstructed view seat. And Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last-minute seats. Find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals for tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy theater, and more. With the zone deals, you can pick the section, and Game Time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. I've used Game Time myself. Super easy to use. A lot of the other ticket sites have a lot of extra steps that are unnecessary. I bought tickets to the U.S. Open last minute this summer. Really simple to use. Very convenient to use Game Time. Get, take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the, the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-F-L. It's one word, no space. Locked on NFL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Wednesday. We're doing our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, Jermaine Johnson has come on in recent weeks. He seems like he's solid as a pass rusher, and he's solid against the run. I know the trade-up adds another wrinkle to the equation, but at this point, should that pick be considered a hit even if he does not improve further? I remember the prevailing thought at the time was that a Calvin Pace-type player constitutes a hit late in round one. So if you if you're, if you haven't been a Jets fan long enough, Calvin Pace was a guy they signed in free agency in 2008, and he, they kept him forever. I think they kept him through like 2015. It got ridiculous near the end. I mean, he could barely move. The Jets kept bringing him back every year because they would never address the edge rusher position. But those first couple of years, Calvin Pace was a really good player for the Jets. He was excellent at setting the edge against the run. He was a guy who could, who could collapse the pocket. You know, he could get you six to eight sacks. Really good player for the Jets. I would agree with the idea that a Calvin Pace type player at the end of round one would be a success. So is Jermaine Johnson a successful pick? Well, look, if he plays the way he's played the last three weeks, Pick's absolutely a hit, in my view. Um, you know, he got off to a slow start this season. After a really big training camp in preseason, we got up, the first three weeks were not very good for Jermaine. And I thought, oh, here we go again. 
I hyped this guy up. I, you know, took the bait. I read way too much into preseason. I was mad at myself. Then against Denver, he has a solid game. And I, I think, like, you know, as I'm watching him play, I'm saying, all right, he's making some nice plays, but a lot of these are just hustle plays. And there's nothing against hustle. You know, you don't want to underrate hustle. But hustle plays typically aren't repeatable. You know, the, the things that are repeatable are when you beat an offensive lineman one-on-one. Then you get the Eagles game, and there's a little bit more beating linemen one-on-one, a little less hustle plays. Then this last week, I mean, he's beaten the – he commits – people won't believe it because he – this was the week where he committed the dumb penalty. So the penalty hurts, but I don't think he's going to commit dumb penalties all the time. He beat his guys one-on-one a lot. And he's developing – he's really blossoming into a solid defensive end. And he's got to – because, you know, when the Jets drafted him, he was an older prospect. And I think sometimes people don't understand what the deal is with older prospects. They say, oh, this guy's older. Well, what difference does it make? I think there are two areas where being an older prospect matters. Number one is it's a bit of a red flag because there's a question. Did you not dominate until you were the oldest player on the field? You know, it's like in high school. If you see a guy dominating as a freshman, that's different than dominating as a senior. It's just like you're if you're a freshman and you're 15 going up against 18-year-olds and you're dominating, that says something. You're an 18-year-old dominating against guys your own age and younger. That's a little less impressive. So if you're an older prospect, you know that, that one of the questions is: Are you only dominating because you're the oldest player on the field, the most physically developed? So that's number one. The second one, which I think is more relevant to Jermaine right now, is if you're older, you're already closer to your physical prime. So th- that means you don't get like three years to develop. It means by year two, it's usually got to happen for you. So it's happening for Jermaine right now. He looks he looks excellent, you know and. I think he's the type of guy where he doesn't necessarily, I think the reason we use the Calvin Pace comparison is for a guy who's really good against the run, he doesn't necessarily need to put up 10 sacks to be a hit. You know, if he gets you six to eight sacks a year and sets the edge really good against the run as a complete player and a guy you can play on three downs, even though the Jets rotate guys in and out, but you can put Jermaine on the field and run downs and pass downs. If you're good, the better you are against the run, the less you need against the pass. So I think right now, look, even though, and listen, that trade-up was costly for the Jets because they gave up a two and a three to move into the late first round. So they cost themselves two shots at, at quality quality players. But I think it is, we're, we're looking, it's looking like Jermaine's a hit right now if he continues on this trajectory. I think that that's, I think it's a fair thing to say because the guy I've seen the last three weeks is an excellent player and a guy who's really helping the Jets. And when he's the fourth best player in your draft class, then you've really hit a draft class out of the park, as is the case with 2022, uh, the 2022 class. Our last question, that was one of the worst offensive performances I can remember from the Jets. Can you think of any games where the offense has been worse and the team has still won? All right. That was not one of the worst offensive performances we've seen from the Jets. I have to correct you on that. I have a PhD in bad offense. I've watched the Jets through the years. That's one of the worst offensive performances in, in a win, but... Even then, I can still remember a lot of games the Jets have won that where the offense was really bad. I mean, there's some Sanchez games in 2012. I mean, how about the, the the Arizona game where Greg McElroy had to come in and lead like one drive and the Jets won 7-6 after the Jets benched Sanchez. Um, you know, I go back 30 years. I remember there was this three-week stretch where the Jets did not score a touchdown in these three games, and they still won two of them. They beat the Colts 6-0, and they beat Washington 3-0. So, I mean, I've seen, I could probably go on. I mean, there are plenty of, Jets have had bad offenses a lot through the years, and they frequently have won some of these games. So, because they've had a lot of years where their defense was very good. Uh, I think that you'd like to see better offense going forward. You certainly don't want to see the offense playing like that. 
hopefully guys get healthy on the offensive line because that's the real fix for the offensive line. I think less than a trade, less than anything else right now because you can't really add anybody else. And the Jets did sign Roger Saffold yesterday, who used to be a really good player, but now is like at the end of the line. I don't think he's going to help anybody out. But more than anything, Jets just got to get their offensive linemen healthy. And hopefully if that happens, they'll be able to couple enough, enough offense together to make the playoffs. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoy the show and are listening to podcasts, first give it a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube and enjoy the show, give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps us out. Helps other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.